0: You're listening to Cybersecurity Inside, a podcast focused on getting you up to speed on issues in cybersecurity with engaging experts and stimulating conversations. To learn more, visit us at intel.com slash cybersecurityinside. What are the components within that supply chain? And can we verify that those are actually the right components? You can get the benefits of AI without having to
1: share too much
2: of your own personal data.
1: Holy cow. There's so many places this could go wrong now, right? And and how do I secure all of this? Hi, and welcome to the Cybersecurity Inside Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Garrison. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Camille Moorhart. How are you doing today, Camille?
0: Hi, Tom. I'm doing well today.
1: You know, we have Today, broken through the doldrums of winter for just a moment, for an afternoon, and the sun came out. It was brilliant. Have, have you seen it?
0: Yeah, it's really gorgeous. And unfortunately for me, I was heading uh, right at the noon hour into a big box grocery store, and it was kind oh. of sad because I was like, wow, you know, it's so beautiful <laughs> out, and I'm just about to go inside right now. <laughs> That's
1: right. That's right. I still maintain that Oregonians, maybe more so than any other population that I'm aware of, really takes advantage when the sun comes out. Man, everybody goes outside if you can. You go outside. Yeah, enjoy I felt the like
0: sun. I was not doing my part. Yeah, I felt yeah. very. It felt very <laughs> wrong.
1: <laughs> so today we're going to talk about updating platforms, but specifically, you know, I think there's a little bit of context needed here, and that is. We all know that applications have been moving to the cloud forever, basically. It seems like a lifetime now. And we also know that the leading edge of security uh, mindset is to keep updating platforms and keep them updated with the latest patches from the vendors. But when you put those two worlds together, they don't actually mix. So when... People are updating devices, they do so with their on-premise resources, the servers and whatnot that are on-premise, and have historically resisted moving things to the cloud, and that is changing, and that's what we're going to talk about today.
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation. We have uh, one of the largest CSPs to come in and talk to us about it, how the change is happening, and how you can do updates remotely, and just how you keep security front and center during this kind of a migration or transition.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and you know, as with anything, it really boils down to how much flexibility do you have? How much faith do you have in the, in the process and it will work and that you're not introducing undue risk? And that's where we're going to talk through those details today with, as you said, one of the, the cloud service providers that's uh, on the forefront here. So it's a great topic. I think uh, we're going to learn a lot.
0: I'm looking forward to it.
1: Our guest today is Gabe Frost. Gabe is a group product manager at Microsoft leading the commercial Windows as a Service engineering team. He co-founded the Industry Alliance for Open Media, where he led as executive director to deliver the next generation video standard for the open web. He also co-founded three startups, has been awarded several patents, and served on the advisory board for the University of Washington Center for Entrepreneurship. So welcome to the podcast, Gabe. Hey, happy to be here. So our focus today is on keeping devices updated, right? We've we've spoken, Camille and I've spoken to several guests over the last year on the, the importance of keeping devices updated and the sort of challenges that are presented in, in doing so. And so you know, your role at Microsoft is, is one I think you probably have some pretty unique perspectives. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the challenge and what we can do moving forward.
2: It's it's a good question. It's interesting. I've been looking after this area for about four years now. And I mean, aside from the the recent worldwide changes, I think that all business and technical leaders have been going through, it's been this interesting journey where the cloud is this Phenomenon, And there's all these different options. And a lot of our customers, when we talk to them, are navigating through what do I think about in terms of on-premises management? What do I think about shifting to the cloud? How do I reason over the cost profiles of those? The pros and cons, the benefits, the shifts from you know, people working on PCs that are locked onto their desk versus the ones that they carry in their pockets and the ones that they take home from them everywhere and shifting to this hybrid way of going about work. Everybody has to reason through these questions in different ways now and think about them differently. Business continuity and thinking about a device from the chip all the way up to the browser or the applications that they use Matters a ton. It's not just about, you know, making sure that the operating system is patched. And so when we talk to customers and our partners and chief security officers around the world, they're all reasoning over these same things and developing different perspectives in terms on of like, well, what is patch compliance? How should I set my goals? How should I think about what good looks like? And how do I overcome all of these different problems and unknowns? And so it's been a really fascinating conversation, both in terms of sharing what we know and where we think we want to go, but more co-developing in a way these ideas and, and making sure that we're approaching these problems with the right intensity that they are and figuring out how to do this together in a way and deliver solutions in tech. That address these sort of broad set of problems because they're all so intertwined, Mm -hmm. you know.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, you said a lot there, and I, I think that one of the elements that sort of came to mind was this notion of the device itself, and do you really know the device that you're talking to? And obviously, Microsoft and and Intel, for that matter, we've we've spent over the decades, we've spent a long time making sure that the human sitting behind the PC or, or, you know, attached to a device is really the human we think they are. Mm -hmm. But we haven't really spent as much time saying, well, is that device really the device we expect it to be? Or has it been altered in some way? Or do we, you know, do we really understand its state? So is this now something in your conversations with folks in different companies? Is this now a problem that people say, we need a better solution so that we know more about the device itself, not just the human attached to the device.
2: It is what we've found in all of our conversations is that first off, how can, if you think about every combination of hardware and software on a PC versus a more narrow ecosystem, it really explodes. And it has been given this monumental task of just somehow knowing everything, right? <laughs> like, and, and figuring out how to overcome all the obstacles that are presented them, oftentimes blindly. And so you've seen this emergence across the industry, Microsoft, as well as lots of other partners and competitors on analytics. And those analytics ideally provide some sort of, how do you find the needle in the haystack in terms of the right insights to focus on? Mm-hmm. And patch compliance in particular, to the point that you made is so interesting because when you're thinking about, there's the person and the multiple devices that they use. So there's this concept of identity for both the human being as well as for the assets that they're using, but then being able to peel the onion on those assets individually to start to say, well, what is the combination of all the hardware and software that's on that device? For a couple of reasons. The first is because you need to have some sense of what compliance means to you and what software revisions are on that machine when there's like umpteen amount of updaters that are floating around all over the place to get all of that stuff updated to the latest patched versions. But then there's also the challenges that the software components present when they're interacting with each other. And so oftentimes customers are like, well, I'm trying to update these machines, but they're just not updating for whatever reasons. Why? And so they want to know from Intel, they want to know from Microsoft, they want to know from their device maker, why are these things not updating? Like we're using tools, you know, we're trying to find logs, we're trying to debug and figure out why this intent that I have is not being carried out. And so that especially when you're trying to remotely manage these devices, becomes so much more challenging. Uh, and so that's a lot of the conversation is what are the analytics that you can provide? What are the combinatory effects that I need to be thinking about? How do I mitigate and overcome problems when there's such a, a layered model of software across the devices? that's just becoming more and more of a challenge. And our challenge is folks who build products and solutions is always to try to simplify that as much as possible because you wanna give them all the information, but if you give them too much information, then it just, you know, it's overwhelming. You don't know how to go about it. So for sure, being able to understand the inventories of what's on these assets that they're running and who are the identities, the people that are using those assets and what are their behaviors, like low activity, this is a big deal. You know, when when I have a phone in my pocket and I have a PC, sometimes I'm creating and I'm using my PC, other times I'm just consuming and I'm using my phone. And so when you're trying to get gigabits or hundreds of megabits of megabytes of information down onto a device and you're only using it irregularly, that poses additional challenges in terms of how do you keep them up to date? How do you meet patch compliance? What's the user experience you provide? All those details. Mm -hmm.
0: Are there any legitimate reasons for waiting to patch?
2: Boy, that's tough. Um, legitimate reasons. Well, I mean, the, the biggest challenges is, is that I'd say the balance between user experience and security. And oftentimes some security issues apply holistically to everybody. Like there's a zero day vulnerability or something that affects all devices and therefore exposes the organization to broader risk you would want to patch those quickly, but sometimes there's security issues that affect certain combinations that maybe you're not running as an org. And so knowing when should I be more determined to update devices in a short period of time versus not is always a tough one. And sometimes the answer is clear cut and other times isn't. What we've found is that it's nearly impossible in that spirit of transparency that I was talking about, right? it's nearly impossible to provide a one size fit, all answer to everybody. And so the easiest thing for most is just to like, yeah, you should be treating how you patch and think about your organization as a service, where you should just assume the content is always flowing and how do you stage that through your organization in a way that minimizes you know, risks as you go, as opposed to, you know, treating everything like a big project that you're going to patch once a month, everybody all at the same time. So this is the new challenge is that because there's so many different pieces of software that you're updating and you're trying to balance the user experience, is just making sure you have that sort of always running production line and how do you insert things into the production line and parameterize them in such a way that you can sort of optimize the user experience most of the time, knowing that sometimes you're going to need to expedite something into the organization because it's a critical vulnerability, but it's super tough. So it's a hard question to answer, but it's a good one.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would argue uh, if you're very, very confident that the vulnerability doesn't apply to you, that would be one reason not to. Yeah. But but even understanding whether it applies to you or not is so nuanced in a lot of ways, uh, it's mm-hmm. kind of dangerous to say one way or the other. The other one is a device that isn't connected. Uh, or mm-hmm. isn't connected uh, regularly, so you have to wait until the next time it f- kind of phones home or becomes connected. Then you update it. Uh, but other than that, well, can I can be... I ask
0: kind of a follow on question yeah, to that course. then? Because you know we're kind of talking OS and maybe chip level or hardware level at this point. Mm-hmm. But if you're setting like automatic updates on, like you were saying earlier, Gabe, all different kinds of applications that are running on top of the OS. Is there any risk associated with setting auto-updates on this just myriad of applications you might have?
2: Is there risk? Yes. Um, The question is, what are the tools that you have to manage that risk so that you're transferring unknowns to knowns? So one of the other areas that I look after is the broad Windows rollout. So anytime we release a new version of Windows, the rollout services team updates a billion devices. And we have to do that in a systematic way. And so what we had to learn when we went from Windows 7 to Windows 10, which was more of a deliver as a like a SaaS style of a service, was how do you successfully reason over all of those risks that you're going to deploy something? And so the industry sort of came up with and uh, this concept of rings, right? Which is like, okay, I'm going to organize groups of devices that I'm going to update. And I'm going to do that sort of systematically so that I can get a sense of what's going to happen as I roll these updates out. The problem is that while rings are a useful tool, how do you know what devices to put in what ring? And It's interesting because we can observe through telemetry how people go about doing that. We don't know anything about the human beings that are sitting behind those machines. But when you look at, are they getting good results in terms of converting unknowns to knowns in terms of their strategy for rings? Oftentimes, they're not because what we do as humans is we go, hmm, who would be the most uh, accommodating of risk early. It's usually the tech folks, right? So Tom, your team gets the updates first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whether they like it or not, IT sends it to engineering or to IT organizations. Cause if something happens, usually they have a propensity to be able to deal with that as opposed to maybe the finance group or some other group who are, you know, not to diminish that in any way. That's just how we think, how we tend to think about dealing with risk. The problem is, is what if every device in that group had the same graphics card and there happened to be a bug in that particular driver at that time? Boom, you know, like now you've had a huge issue with productivity. And so what we've had to learn when we roll out updates to the billion devices in Windows is, hmm, how do we determine the probability on a per device basis that this update is going to be successful on this device? which requires that we look at every permutation of hardware and software on every device and then look at signals that are coming back from those devices as we stage that rollout to determine, like, do we see any outliers in terms of rollbacks or failures or crashes or various different signals? If you think about that, over an ecosystem of a billion, more than a billion devices with every combination of hardware and software. You're talking about trillions of records that you need to update every day. Every 24 hours, you look at it again and imagine developing a score for every device to say, what do we think the probability that this device will successfully update?
1: So Gabe, do you set for, for those sort of rings? Do you distribute risk so that uh, if there is a problem with such and such driver or whatever. You don't take down that whole ring, you only take down a piece of that ring because you you made sure you didn't have too many people with that driver in that ring because otherwise there'd be too much risk if there was an issue. Something like that. Yeah,
2: you got it. You got it. And so we had to figure out how to do this in a better way to provide better outcomes for customers so that we're like there's the right time to take the update and then whether like sort of red light green light it's one of those things where you kind of tiptoe as you go into it, because you want to convert unknowns to knowns and, and, and you want to do that in a systematic way where you can pull up the emergency break if you need to fairly quickly and developing all of that capability is what people rely on Microsoft to do. Because what I just described is bananas, right? Like that requires building machine learning and AI models to do all of that. And so What we've been doing is taking all of our learnings and lessons about risk and how to manage risk. It's sort of like I I talk to people about like, you know, if you have a 401k and you go, hey, I'm invested in the S&P 500. Most people have no idea because it's about, you know, like how is that index constructed and how much risk do I have for like, you know, big company, small company, all of this. It's similar with devices. It's an economy. And they're changing all the time. And how do you reason through that risk is super challenging. And so we've taken all of what we've learned in rollout. And we're now starting to make that available to our commercial customers through our deployment services so that you just get that and you get the signals for free and you get safeguards. So as soon as we learn something, you know, Tom, you get on the phone with me and go, hey, Gabe, don't deploy this driver. We've discovered an issue. We can affect that in the world. Really quickly, so that any devices that match that particular signature automatically are safeguarded, we pull them out of a deployment both in the broad mm-hmm. you know consumer ecosystem, but also those signals fire for customers who are using Intune, for example um and who are deploying through those different solutions and so you know Cam to answer that question, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of risks, and it's how you leverage the capabilities to manage those risks now becomes more important than ever. And it's been a really difficult challenge. And I think that the feedback that we've been getting from customers about like, hey, you give me these rings, I have all these devices, help me understand how to put devices in the right rings in a way that minimizes my risks has been a lot of what we've been thinking about and technology we've been building over the last 18, 24 months to make that a lot easier for customers.
1: I'm familiar with the rings and, and we've worked with Microsoft pretty extensively on it. But the the element that you just raised, which maybe I misunderstood, but if you're, let's say, I always use Nike or General Motors as my two corporate examples. If you're running one of those companies' IT infrastructure, is it their choice? I would assume it's their choice deciding who's in ring zero versus ring one versus ring two versus ring three or are what is what you're saying microsoft will use all of your ai if they give you access to all of their infrastructure whatever that you can help educate them on who should be in ring zero one two three and so forth
2: yeah let me explain so um four days ago you only had the ability to do rings Like you define your own rings, you figure out what devices you put in those rings and you could set like if you're deploying a feature update, for example, you could say, hey, no sooner than this date should these devices be allowed to go. Right. Like you could set a start date when you want to start the deployment. Mm -hmm. We've just made available something called a gradual rollout and a gradual rollout enables two things. And what it does is you're saying, hey, let the robots manage the rings or at least some ring so you could you could pick like a big group of devices and say hey let microsoft's ai make the decisions on this group so think about it maybe like a ring 0 for example if you have telemetry turned on it gets even better so you could say hey i only want x percent of devices per day to go in these rings with n number of days in between each go so i have some time to reason over the data to see how things are see how things are doing but if you turn on device telemetry, and you authorize Microsoft service, our deployment service, to process that information in a compliant data boundary for you, then it will actually do as I described, where it will automatically determine, of this big group of devices you handed me, what is the smallest number of devices that have the highest concentration of hardware and software combinations and only pick those. So that way I can get you the broadest coverage with the least amount of devices. And you don't have to do that on your own. The software will do that for you. And we think this is game-changing in terms of managing, helping customers manage risk. Now, we still think that we have work to do to dial in, like, how much information do we provide and how much control do we give customers over those scenarios? But bringing that machine learning and, and giving it to it to be able to manage those deployments, whether you're doing a feature update, whether you're doing a monthly patch Tuesday, whether you're deploying a new driver into your ecosystem, we think is a, um, a really big innovation that's going to help manage those risks that we're talking about now much better.
0: Uh, I understand you said different software and hardware combinations, presumably so you can get a sense for what might be a problem. Mm-hmm. But are you mixing like IoT and server and PC and phone or, you know, all together, or are you kind of mixing it within a certain class of hardware?
2: Well, currently we only support Windows Client for this. And so it would be, you know, you'd go into your direct, like your Azure Active Directory and say, here's a group of devices and I want you to run this on those devices for this update. So currently it's supported for feature updates. So if you want to deploy Windows 11, this helps a lot because it, you know, number one only offers to devices that, um, are eligible. They meet the system requirements. So you're never going to offer to a device that doesn't meet the system requirements and wouldn't succeed. The second is that it helps you reason through the set of applications that are running on those devices, as well as the hardware that's running on those devices to get you that smallest group that you could kind of pilot you know, it's almost think about it like we're going to, of all the devices that you have, we're going to create a little live lab of the smallest set of devices and we're going to deploy it into that lab so you can learn the most from the smallest amount of devices that are available.
1: This is, I think, very interesting. And, And I think the implications are pretty obvious in terms of, you know, making it easier to get the devices updated in a, in a Rational fashion, uh, better probably than humans could do it. You know, managing risk along the way. I, I wonder how do you see governments around the world? Do you see them starting to have a heavier hand in terms of requiring device updates?
2: You know, I do. Most recently, the latest administration has said some things about the recent supply chain attacks and so i think a lot of companies are reasoning through chain of custody in terms of the updates that are provided and you know you've seen on several occasions elements of the security uh, administrations making statements about hey we really encourage people to patch this update this is a this is a big deal and so i think more than ever we're actually seeing governments encourage populations to updates because of the increasing frequency of attack vectors. We've certainly observed it just as you have, that we're seeing more of the encouragement to go update. I don't know what that means in terms of like requiring, you know, there's always sort of encouragement and there's different levers for sure on companies, you know, that have infrastructure that's critical to especially, you know, government employees and labs and things of that nature. We published a blog recently, I want to say in the last couple of months, where we talked about this concept of patch compliance. And we looked at over the last couple of years, the number of incidents, these security incidents, and they're just going up and up um, because there's more uh, incentive Mm-hmm. I guess right. There's different incentive structures in place that um, would have people, you know, going after these different these different devices. And IoT, you know, is something you you mentioned. IoT is an interesting challenge in and of itself. You know, when you just have you know, j random security cameras or things like that that are out there, and how do those present an on ramp to even PCs, right, that are in your uh, home network? And so I think there's just more and more on ramps for malicious activity, and it just presents that much more of a challenge for our partners in IT customers. It's never been more important to be thinking about patch compliance, what it means. You know, when you think about patch compliance, like what's your goal and how do you set that goal? And a lot of folks will pick a number. You know, I hear something like, you know, 90% within X amount of time. But then when I say how many, how much of your estate is in a drawer, Like, how many laptops do you have that are in a drawer that your system is tracking? Or how do you think about your employees that are coming and leaving from vacation? You know, and what would the implication be? And so I think that a lot of people are struggling through and reasoning, understandably, through a lot of these questions to try to figure out, you know, I don't believe that there's actually an industry standard in terms of like, what what would we broadly say, how to reason over your patch compliance? at any time. Like if someone asked you, hey, Tom, what's your patch compliance today? How would you reason on that? And I think we as an industry have work to do in order to help provide more clarity in that area for customers. not only the tools and the flexibility in terms of how to update these things, but also how to reason over it, how to reason over your success and reason over opportunities to actually improve and get better. And those are things we're thinking about a lot.
1: before we let you go, we have one more segment that we like to call Fun Facts. What would you like to share with our listeners in the Fun Facts segment?
2: You know, it's interesting. I've been, um, when I was in school, um, I spent all my time in math and physics, you know, just in engineering. And I have a six-year-old now. And my six-year-old is asking all the questions that six-year-olds ask. You know, regularly, I've been kind of, talking to him about things like he sees the stars and he wants to know what's a star or he heard about black holes. And so it's been a real fun journey. I don't, I don't think that I have any like uh, fact factor figure to share with you, but it was fun the other day. Uh, I was, I was trying to figure out how to describe how a star collapses into a black hole and cover all the details about how does that happen to a six-year-old? And so that was really fun to like go back and relearn how to how to think about that and explain it in a clear way. And then you get all the follow on questions. I
1: remember as a kid, when it was first described to me about the sort of life cycle of a star and I became mm-hmm. very worried that the sun was going to expand and I
2: was going to get cooked. Uh, yeah, you know. I, know. I think you got about a billion years before that <laughs> happens. Yeah. But But yeah, so it was funny, like, why are some stars brighter than other stars? And, you know, all of these different concepts about uh, relativity and stuff and how to describe that. So it's just been super fun for me to be like, oh, yeah, wow, how do I describe this in the simplest way possible? And I think that's a a healthy (laughs) feedback channel for me on like all these kinds of conversations is how do you take these uh, concepts that are complicated and make it so simple that a six year old could understand? (laughs) That's great. Camille, how about you?
0: okay so my fact is uh, I spent this last weekend at the coast and actually it was very like placid you know the waves weren't so big I was wondering what was the biggest wave ever recorded so I looked up uh, the biggest wave recorded by humans as it hit land because apparently the biggest open water wave is only like 63 feet which I guess if you're in a boat that would be tremendous but
1: yeah that'd be a there bad was day.
0: a in <laughs> right. There was perfect storm type of a day. But I was, you know, so what about hitting land? So in 1958, uh, Latuya Bay, I may be mispronouncing that, in Alaska, a part of a glacier yeah. like slit, broke off and like slid an into the water. Yeah, yeah 3,000 feet this thing fell. And it sent off a wave that started about 100 to 300 feet was the immediate wave that came. But by the time it got to the far end of the bay, um, it was 1,720 feet tall. So this wave was riding in, you know, way over the trees. Um, and the f- kind of fun fact is there were actually three boats out there in the bay. And the boats all flew in at the top of the wave. And there's this one story of one of the boats that... It was a, a husband and wife, and they just rode the wave all the way in and then sort of crash landed up in the forest and were eventually rescued. Um, but they were fine. But there were viewers that watched them and said they just sailed in, you know, all the way up in the forest. So just absolutely insane. The other boats, I think people had died during the storm, but not necessarily from riding the wave.
2: Wow. Oh, my
1: gosh. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> so I'm going to go back out as Gabe had out into space and a uh, little fun fact. Uh, well, first, let me ask you two as your my my uh, subjects here. The hottest planet in our solar system is. I'd say Mercury.
0: Well, I would have thought Mercury.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Everybody says Mercury. Oh, yeah. That's it's right. actually not Mercury. Venus. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's Venus. Hmm. And uh, it's 450 degrees Celsius. Um, And you would think that Mercury would be because it's so much closer, but it has no atmosphere and therefore it can't regulate its temperature. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has huge fluctuations in temperature. Venus, though, has a slow axis rotation. And so it takes 243 Earth days to complete one Venus day. So, mm. interestingly, also about Venus is that the orbit of Venus is 225 Earth days. And mm-hmm. so, one year on Venus is actually 18 days less than a day on Venus. <laughs> That's my- pretty cool, yeah. huh? Wow. A year is shorter than a day on Venus.
0: That is pretty interesting.
1: Well,
2: yeah, that makes sense as you described
1: it. Wow. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, hey, Gabe, thanks so much for spending the time with us today. I think it was a really interesting and important topic on how do we keep our uh, platforms updated and maybe some a glimpse into the future where things are headed. Great
2: conversation. Thanks to you both.
0: Stay tuned for the next episode of Cybersecurity Inside.